Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Am I tough enough? Strong and stable leadership. Total rhubarb. Hell yes, I'm tough enough. Shut the fridge. Not another one. It's the Politics Show podcast. The podcast ain't nonsense. The Politics Show podcast ain't Come on. Wow. So you made it out of Belmarsh alive today. <laughs> Enough all night. <laughs> Not tiring, to wink. Tiring work. Absolutely. But those boys deserve it. They're veterans, aren't they? What a punishment. <laughs> <laughs> Turns out I don't know what Belmarsh is. <laughs> I think like Chelsea pensioners. <laughs> Ava Santina, Capital J journalist. Hi. How are you? Great. How are you? Good, thank you. Oh, um, I brought Ed's lunch. Sorry. Okay, I want to just give that to him. Is this a... <laughs> 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 I think this is the episode you decided to prank me. Uh, for audio listeners, they've given me an egg and cress sandwich. Which... Will you have a bite? <laughs> I guess, otherwise it's a fucking waste of food. Eat the How long sandwich. have you been... <laughs> the, look, the look in your eyes. <laughs> when, when did you decide to do this? Uh, Sean and I earlier, when we were on the, cake, the hunt for... Birthday cakes for Laura, because it's her birthday. Oh, happy birthday, Laura. Happy birthday, Laura. Um, we saw the egg sandwich and we thought, you know what? Let's buy that. We're having to eat it. Yeah, at least one bite. <laughs> <laughs> what are you tasting? What can you... Uh, egg and cress. For, for listeners and not viewers, there is a, a nice piece of cress hanging from... <laughs> are we going to tell him? I was about to say, are we going to tell him about that? Or are we going to go through the whole episode? If not, no. No? More horrible. Well, if you could not waste that, please. Give the gannet here. Oh, w- <laughs> oh, you're going for the, the one he bit out of too, yeah? No. We share. No. <laughs> so Ollie and I eat lunch every day. <laughs> <laughs> two, to- two toke pass. Like, you know how at weddings you go like this with the champagne mm. and you 
yep. or the cake or whatever. Really like Lady in the Tramp. No, because I'm not going to eat more. Otherwise, yeah. I would be. <laughs> <laughs> that was a big plate of spaghetti and meatballs. Well, that's what you had last night at Belmarsh, right? <laughs> not spaghetti. No. <laughs> Ed Campbell, the filth, how are you? <laughs> uh, I'm good, thank you. I like the filth as a nickname. It's good, isn't it? Yeah. Good, like I'm a villain. Yours has, has obviously been Golden Boy, mm -hmm. then Dragon Boy. Yep. Now the filth. I like the filth. I like, I like the, the filth. That. I think you'll stick with that. Yeah. It's like a rogues gallery. Mm. I'm into it. I haven't had one yet. You're a capital J mean. journalist, bro. Yeah, but you know. Be nice to have something else. What would you like to be? Well, I, I don't know. I think that it's not something you, you ask for. It's something you're given. No, I actually, to be fair, I did not ask for any of the <laughs> nicknames. That's what I mean. You're yeah, given yeah. it, you know? The mm. problem is, like, if you ask for a nickname, you guarantee that you will never be called it. No. Like, if you're ever in school and you're like, I don't know. Call me Razor. You can call me Dragon. <laughs> yeah. People will be like, yeah, fucking as if. There was someone I met who introduced himself as Tarzan. <laughs> he was like, my friends call me Tarzan. And Why? No one ever, he just wanted to be called Tarzan. His <laughs> friends had never called him Tarzan. Ever. He just Sorry. made it up. He just decided he was going to be Tarzan from now on. Do you know how it's like... Did you see that thing going around the other day that was like... Sorry, it's really gross. It was like... Do you think that the first... Was Jane the first thing that Tarzan checked? <laughs> <laughs> like, was he a virgin or had he been practising like... <laughs> What's his wee gorilla friend called? I don't he's know. Called, what is his? I don't know. Does he hang out with like an orangutan or something? He's raised by the gorillas, isn't no, it? That's in, the, the... in the film, he's got like a wee Turk. I think is its name. Turk, yeah. yeah. Oh, we're talking about the Disney classic here, aren't we? We're not, we're not talking about the uh, the quite brutal Tarzan. What one was that? The original. It's um, you know, Disney softened everything. The, ori the, the original. Let me see who it's written by. But it's harrowing. We read. I remember reading it at university and going, oh, "This is not family friendly." <laughs> Edgar Rice Burroughs. I didn't know that. Oh no, it's like it's yeah. He's like mental in that. It's like a. It's kind of like um. What, what's the other thing about the Nile? Why have I forgotten it? Heart of Darkness. It's like Heart of Darkness. It's like a, it's a proper dark dark story. Really, I suppose. Boy raised by gorillas, he wouldn't be well a well adjusted man. Well, and no. you introduce them to polite London society. <laughs> yeah. You're asking for trouble. <laughs> I should have thought about that. <laughs> oh, no. But if you were raised by gorillas, how comes like someone called Jane turns up and you go, well, that's what I meant to sleep with. Like, you know, you haven't slept with anything before that. What I'm saying yeah, is... Know? Exactly. When you know, you know. <laughs> yeah. But then also, well, presumably... It's quite peppery. Yeah. I wonder if that's the bread. That's what the... My sentiment was good though mm, i actually disagree i didn't enjoy it we had a bit of a falling out at the checkouts because i'd scanned my club card before sean could oh. scan his <laughs> should we do a pmq slip no yes oh, that's the end of the podcast yeah okay let's roll the clip mr speaker the news last night of hundreds killed at the baptist hospital in gaza is incredibly distressing but it's much worse for the people of gaza their fear that there's no place of safety is profound. International law must be upheld, and that means hospitals and civilian lives must be protected. 
Last night, the Foreign Secretary said the UK will work with our allies to find out what has happened. I know this only happened last night, but can the Prime Minister please tell us when he thinks he might be able to update the House on progress with that work? Oh, I, uh, I know the whole House will have been shocked by the scenes at uh, Al Ali Hospital. Any loss of innocent life is a dreadful tragedy. And everyone will be thinking both of those who have lost their lives and the families that they leave behind. We should not rush to judgment before we have all the facts on this awful situation. Every member will know that the words we say here have an impact beyond this House. This morning, I met with the National Security Advisor, but also the Chair of the Joint Intelligence Committee. I can tell the Honourable Gentleman our intelligence services have been rapidly analysing the evidence to independently establish the facts. Uh, we are not in a position at this point to say more than that, but I can tell him we are working at pace, but also cooperating and collaborating with our allies on this issue as we look to get to the bottom of the situation, and we will also continue all our efforts to get humanitarian aid into the region. So, Ava. That's Keir Starmer and Rishi Sunak going back and forth over uh, Israel-Palestine. Mm -hmm. Very similar tone to the statement yesterday. Mm -hmm. No, statement on Monday. No, statement yesterday. When was the statement? Monday. Monday. Um, run me through it. Um, I mean, even more so. But the big conversation today is obviously the bombing of the hospital that took place uh, yesterday. Estimates say about 500 people were killed. There is, as we talked about on Monday, uh, social media is a sewer and there's a lot of speculation going on. Um, and both, actually all politicians in the House were, apart from Crispin Blunt, who we'll come to later, but were trying to avoid any blame or attribution. So the thing with the, with, um, with the hospital, right, is late last night, everyone starts going around saying that the IDF has bombed this hospital. Mm -hmm. As more information comes to light, the IDF denies it. Someone who advises Netanyahu initially tweets claiming responsibility for it, then deletes the tweet. A host of political characters, including Jeremy Corbyn, tweet condemning the IDF strike. Then, over the course of the evening, um, open-source journalists, people like Bellingcat and other independent people, start geolocating um, a, an attempted missile fire from Gaza into Israel. The IDF say, um, the IAF, also the Air Force, say that the explosion at the hospital was caused by either a misfired rocket that doesn't make it all the way into Israel or an intercepted rocket that then lands on the hospital. It is still, at the time of recording, it's still not been confirmed who is responsible for what. Mm -hmm. um, not least because uh, in previous instances, the IDF has bombed hospitals. In previous instances, the IDF has lied about things it's done. So the most recent example would be um, Shireen Abu Akla, the Palestinian journalist who was shot dead. Uh, they initially denied any involvement in that. And then as more and more information came to light, they eventually quietly admitted that they were culpable, uh, which means that people are skeptical of the IDF's denials. As a result of this, we've lost now, I think, Biden's bilats with both the Jordanians, the Palestinians have been cancelled. And there's growing pressure on him in relation to his meeting with Netanyahu. There's an issue with Egypt as well, isn't it? Because the whole point that Biden was going over there was to make sure that the Rafa crossing was open mm -hmm. and make sure that humanitarian aid was getting in and now that's all in jeopardy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But so this was, the, this was the talking point, right? It's the only talking point, really. Um, um, Lamy um, followed PMQs, didn't he, with a, with a statement on this as well? He did. Um, he got it wrong to start with. He said that the bombing of a mosque, he had to be corrected 
twice. He called it that twice, didn't he? Yeah. He did call he did. it that twice. But I mean, just, yeah, possibly a slip of the tongue. No, it's a pretty high-pressure situation, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and what he what he was asking um, James Cleverly, the Foreign Secretary, was when the government know, when British intelligence knows who actually committed the act or who was responsible, that they would tell them. Mm. Because it's not it's not clear whether they will pass that on, mm. pass that information on. And obviously that's... Um, it's had, I mean, there was an IDF um, representative being interviewed this morning on the Today programme and they were furious at um, the, apparently the British media have just believed what Hamas have said and they were furious about that. Obviously, the, the other side to that is that when the IDF give out information, they expect everyone to believe it immediately. So yeah. you're, you're, you're stuck in between. Uh, this is exactly, and th this is the, the continuation of the stuff we were talking about on the last episode, right? Which is, it's impossible for anyone to take a, a nuanced or even actually possibly humanitarian position in this, right? Because either yeah. either the IDF committed a war crime and bombed a hospital um, or they didn't and um, Hamas is responsible. Uh, sorry, no, Islamic Jihad in this case, isn't it? Is the group involved? Is this who's accused of firing the rocket? Um, have blown up a hospital and, you know, it's it should be possible for you to say, regardless of who's been involved, the bombing of the hospital is a bad thing. But yet again, people project their political position in relation to the conflict onto this piece of news before actually anyone actually knows what's happened, uh, who's responsible or, or why. Mm -hmm. Can I also just quickly add in the interest of nuance that I am not, <coughs> I'm not saying that Hamas and the IDF are the same thing because there will definitely be someone who will yeah. s say that I'm suggesting that. That's not. I'm just, those are the two big voices that we are looking at that that's where we're getting a lot of information from apart aside from citizen journalists or actual journalists who are there mm. i'm just saying mm. those are two big mouthpieces i'm not comparing them yeah it's also as well people having to i feel we can only talk about social media with any authority yeah which does feel slightly stunted but it's what our expertise is in this situation but people were having to roll back or update their analysis within hours. Yeah. I, I think having an immediate take on that, I think it's, given what we know about modern warfare and disinformation, having, trying to have an immediate take in response to news like that, as a, not as an expert, is just, I, I, I think everyone, <laughs> everyone needs to slow down. Mm. That was a... You don't need to have a take on everything, no. right? War is, war is chaos. Yeah, mm. um, and then any number of things could happen. Yeah, Sunak actually came off quite statesmanlike during this because there was a there was chatter that he might stand up and start asking Keir Starmer why certain Labour politicians were present at the anti, anti pro Palestine uh, march that was on Saturday. Mm. Thought it could be like you know quick, dirty jibes, and actually he he sounded very statesmanlike. It was it was this is a, a real concern. He was basically calming the MPs who were in the benches to say. Could you please not jump on this? Could you please not make assumptions? Because the world is listening and we could create some kind of, you know, a second wave of conflict, essentially. Mm. Yeah, they struck a very, um, sort of, their tone was one of unity, wasn't it, really? An agreement between the two of them. I think the interesting thing for me is the, the softening of language again from Keir Starmer in relation to this. You know, I know we've, we've briefly discussed this already, but, you know, first, first remarks from him in relation to this are, Israel has a right to defend herself um, and, you know, must follow and then also must follow international law. So now 
saying there there is a need for humanitarian corridors so that food, medicine and water can enter Gaza. And there's an important backdrop to this, isn't there, which is that uh, I think double digits now, possibly, might not be that high. So a uh, word of warning because I'm doing this off the top of my head. Labour councillors have now resigned over the Labour Party's position in relation to this. There were crisis talks yesterday involving, at the very least, David Lammy and I think other senior figures in the party to try and cool uh, the walk back over at Keir Starmer sent out an email to Labour Party members as well, explicitly outlining what his position was in it. There is a, a, an internal party political row brewing in the Labour Party over this, which, which he is having to be very conscious of. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. It's the Politics Show podcast. We fully support the defeat of Hamas and, of course, the safe return of all hostages who have been taken. So, too, I hope do we all share the same common humanity of protecting civilians and condemning any acts of collective punishment against the Palestinian people. In that regard, many of the images emanating from Gaza in recent days will shock us all to the core. So can I ask the Prime Minister, will he join with us on these benches and call for an immediate ceasefire in the region? Mr Speaker, we believe that Israel does have a right to defend itself, to protect its people and to act against terrorism and ensure that the awful attack that we've seen from Hamas cannot happen again. And unlike Hamas, the Israelis, including the President, have made it clear that their armed forces will operate in accordance with international law. And we will continue to urge the Israelis to take every precaution to avoid harming civilians. Ava, so Stephen Flynn there calling for a ceasefire, mm-hmm. uh, striking again a sort of more... Well, actually, no, I, was, I think it's unfair to say that he's striking a more sort of uh, humanitarian tone than the others, because I also I don't think it's, I think it's unfair to, to ascribe that to Rishi Sunak and Keir Starmer. But nonetheless, calling for a ceasefire. Um, what did you make of, of his remarks there? Yeah, well, I think, you know, also he is um, representing or he's part of the party, which, you know, Hamza Youssef is the first minister and Hamza Youssef has relatives over in Gaza at the moment. I mean, it, it's, a, it's a perspective that not many MPs can actually give, right? They can't give that proper insider in, uh, perspective. I ju- um, there were groans actually after, there were quiet groans after he called for a ceasefire, quite mocking. Um, 
as if it was like the most ridiculous thing you could possibly suggest. Mm. I suppose it does feel like it, it does feel it's a bit far off, right? Because it feels like you're in the belly of the conflict and it feels like you're dealing with the humanitarian crisis at the moment rather than actually talking about a ceasefire. Um, yes, yeah, Sunak came back with, we do believe that Israel has the right to defend herself. And he came back a second time. He was like, yeah, that's fine. Cool. Can you get people out? Mm. And then he started asking about refugees because that's really interesting because the moment that we started to, you know, Russia invaded Ukraine or, you know, Afghanistan were, you know, everyone had to get out of Afghanistan um, when Dominic Raab was on the beach. Um, we started talking about refugees and a plan and a plan of action. And it doesn't seem that there's anything on the table or any discussion about where you might offer safe passage to people in either, you know, Israel or Palestine. Are we going to take people in? Do you think it'd be, it would be controversial or unpopular if, it were, if they were to create a scheme like the Afghanistan thing or the Ukraine thing? I think that you would have quite ugly rhetoric that similar to what you're hearing on the Rafa crossing about mm -hmm. them not want Egypt not taking um, people from Gaza because you don't know who you're taking in. I think you'll have right. quite ugly rhetoric in this country about that as well. Yeah, it's tough, isn't it? I mean, there's the there's the broader problem that's existed for a long time in the region, which is that a lot of the um, a lot of Israel's neighbours also aren't prepared to accept any more Palestinian refugees than they already have done. Mm. The, I think, I don't think that the British population will be particularly um, keen to accommodate, to, you know, to just be blunt about it, brown people. Um, I know the Afghans are obviously not white, but there is a feeling, isn't there, sort of among the broad population about people that assisted our military and fought with mm. us in the conflict that we should take care of them. Obviously, there's not, there's not a corollary there with the Palestinians. Um, and to your point as well about, you know, I don't think anyone about Israel um, defending herself. I don't think anyone would dispute, right, that Israel has a right to defend herself. The thing that Flynn is hitting on here is that there are two million people sandwiched into a tiny strip of land that's now being bombed. Half of them are children. You know, no one's disputing. It's, it's, it's almost a, um, like a get out of jail free, isn't it, to say Israel has a right to defend herself because it's like, well, yeah, everyone, every, every nation has a right to defend itself. But that's not really the thing that's being contested here, is it? The thing that's mm. being contested is the is the bombing of a densely populated area that, that, um, that's very, very densely populated with civilians. Get out of my pub! It's the Politics Show Pubcast. My right honourable friend, uh, I understand, will be travelling uh, to the region and he will, um, he will see for himself the shock and trauma uh, that is through the Israeli nation after this event. And that is shock and trauma that is also accompanied by a rage and the enormous danger is that the Israeli reaction led by a Prime Minister who will be held accountable for this failure of intelligence is going to amount, is indeed amounting to a war crime and that will not only be a crime, it will be a mistake. And I urge my right honourable friend, there is now no one better placed uh, to urge restraint upon Israel to stay within the international rule of law and exercise restraint on behalf of us all. 
Mr. Speaker, as a friend, we will always uh, urge Israel to take every possible practical precaution to avoid harming civilians and indeed to act within international law, as their president has said that their armed forces will do, whilst recognising the incredible complexity and difficulty of the situation on the ground. And it does bear repeating, Hamas is a terrorist organisation that embeds themselves inside of civilian populations. It is something we always have to remember, and Israel is taking every practical possible step to avoid harming civilians, and we will do everything we can to provide humanitarian support to the area. Ava, Crispin Blunt on his feet there, um, liking a slightly, slightly more critical tone yeah. in relation to the Prime Minister. What did you make of it? Well, Crispin Blunt has been criticised by all sides of the party, actually, in the last couple of days, because he has been, this is something he said, right from, right from way, back when, way back last week when we were saying, oh, um, Israel has a right to defend herself and we weren't talking about Palestine. He was like, uh, hello, can't be acting like that. He's talking about international war crimes. I mean, that, that's so, that conversation is now one I, I believe is starting to happen in the Conservative Party. Mm. It's certainly happening in the Labour Party. That was the big concern that all of the councillors had for mm. why they were threatening to resign. But so, when he started with this last week, which is extraordinary. Yeah. Just it's brain rot of the highest order, isn't it? It's the, oh, you, you see that you see this issue diff differently. I swear there was a time in party politics where it was accepted or you know um, normalised that it was possible for people of the same political party to see issues differently, and that those things could coexist in the same space. Um, and it's a sign of the sort of paucity of our democracy now that someone who, in fairness to him, I don't think actually particularly deviates from the Conservative Party line, he is just adopting the slightly um, what I thought would have thought would have been a non-controversial opinion of saying we should oppose war crimes, mm -hmm. you know, um, which was getting a conservative politician on the media round over the last, certainly at the beginning of the conflict, to um, in any way sort of condemn collective punishment, i.e. the siege of Gaza, was incredibly, incredibly difficult. I wonder if this speaks to the conservatives' attitude towards everything is a culture war, that... Mm -hmm. At the moment, they're not expressing, they're, they're not highlighting division with the Labour Party and they're not using this as a stick to beat the Labour Party with, but they might at some point in the future. And if you don't have all your MPs singing from the same hymn sheet prepared to attack the Labour Party for being soft on Hamas, which was probably the line that they would take, that would really undermine their chances. So I wonder if it's like preemptive. Like a preemptive pre criticism, like get in line so we can use this. Mm. Total rhubarb. It's the politics show podcast. Speaking of the culture war, let's play the <laughs> next clip. On Sunday, Terence Carney, a 70 year old Hartlepudlian, was murdered by an asylum seeker. The people are afraid and angry. Every week, my office is besieged by asylum seekers. My staff are intimidated by young men. The fact is, most of them are illegal migrants who should be expelled. My thoughts and sympathies are with Mr Carney's family and friends, as and all my constituents affected by this heinous crime. However, sympathy is not enough. They deserve action, and I am demanding it. Will the Prime Minister take action? Will he make sure enforcement is delivered? Will he ensure that people who have no right to be here are expelled? 
Enough is enough. I want these people out of Hartlepool now. My, 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 my. Yeah. My, 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 my. That actually brought gasps in the office, didn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And that, and as a comment. Yeah, it did actually, didn't it? Yeah. Not that we weren't gasping at the rest of it. We were a bit silent Mm. for for the other. (laughs) No, for the first 20 minutes we were silent. And then Jill Mortimer stands up and just declares uh, war on asylum seekers. I've got to be honest. This is like the most entry level, like fucking key stage one racism, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like an asylum seeker kills someone in my constituency. Jill, I'm going to fucking tell you something. That might probably be the least relevant thing about what's going on. Now, I obviously have absolutely no idea about the context of the crime. I have no idea about what unfortunately has happened to Terence Carney, 77-year-old bloke. Horrible, horrible story. Someone's died. Why is it relevant? And then to use that to stoke up this fear, to then go from there and say, people are afraid and angry. Are they? Are they? I'm sure people. I'm sure people are angry about any murder that happens in the constituency. But to link those two things together is politically very, very dangerous. Very dangerous. And I think actually people are afraid of asylum seekers because of things like this, as in because of sentiment like this, rhetoric like this. Mm-hmm. If you're being, if everything you're being told about asylum seekers and refugees is negative, if they're all military age men, we were talking about this today. I was in Tamworth yesterday ahead of tomorrow's by election, and not for the first time, people have expressed concern to me about military-age men coming to the country. And if that's all the rhetoric, you, rhetoric you're getting, if that's all you're being told about asylum seekers, you're not, be, you're not being told about the, where they're fleeing from, why they've come to this country. Like, you're not being told about the responsibility and duty Britain has about two refugees, to asylum seekers, the history of it. If all you're hearing is fear, 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 it just stokes its... It's just baiting. It's just stoking division and hatred of these people, which is really bloody dangerous. Mm. Well, to bring it down to in silly little politics, Hartlepool is where reform are, are canvassing heavily. Um, it's a seat that reform actually think they might be able to take. Really? Yep. Richard Tice no has stood, stood there is, before. Richard yeah. Tice has been the candidate there before. Yep. Um, is he still the candidate there? He is. Um, no, he's he's right. They've been up there campaigning. They, they, they're polling on, I think they were, they're polling on seven points for tomorrow, aren't they? But they were reaching about 11 points a few months ago in that constituency, which is actually pretty good for um, where they first started and also what that could do to slice the Conservative vote. And obviously they campaign, their big push is anti-migration. It's we're going to stop the boats. And it's been ridiculing the Conservatives for not, quote-unquote, being able to get the migration under control, right? Mm. So I actually think this is petty party politics. I I think she stood up in the House of Commons today. She hasn't spoken since June. But today she's up on her feet and she's really, really concerned about the scary men that are apparently in her constituency. No way. She wanted her own clip. She wanted a clip to show to the constituents to say, I'm tackling migration. Mm. I just wonder if you're fed up. If your thought was, if your thought would be, I'll go to this new party that I've never heard of before. As in UKIP, as a machine, didn't get a single elected MP. Why is, and that was like a household name. I just don't think reform would be able to take a seat in a, a first passable system, in a Labour surge, in a former Labour seat. I really don't think that they'd be able to do that. Regardless of like the division that 
they're still king. No, but they could slice the conservative vote. Mm. Yes, but yeah, which yeah. is a concern. Yeah, no, that's, I, I agree with that. But I just don't think they'd be able to take it. And especially in a seat that is now, um, it, it, you got honestly the big conversation there is migration, which is crazy because it's nowhere near Dover. That's <laughs> <laughs> really far. Yeah. You all right? Yeah, just making my way through this egg and cress. Sorry. I, I, don't know, I, I don't even know if Ollie actually enjoyed that egg and cress sandwich or whether he felt obligated yeah, to eat it. It wasn't bad, you know? Yeah. Yeah. What would you give it texture-wise? Well, it's like eating paper mache, isn't it? It's like pap. Right. Not great. Flavour? It's not as bad as he makes out. I'll tell you that. Well, well, I'll myth bust that. People like different things. Not true. <laughs> Everyone likes what I like, and people that don't <laughs> are wrong. Um, yeah, I was, gonna, I was just going to say, Ava, you, you, you prefaced your remarks about that by saying, I know it's silly little politics, but I don't actually think, I don't think it is, talking about reform. I think you're absolutely bang on the money. I think it's, this seems to me to be a reaction to that electoral threat that she's facing, and the mm. fact that she's willing to whip up division and hatred in this manner over essentially retaining power is utterly embarrassing. Um, and... I hope the good people of Hartlepool recognise that at the next general election. Do you think reform will be an electoral force? Um, I think it depends. I think that, that MRP polling we were looking at a few months ago suggested that it really had the potential to, to slice quite a lot of the Conservative vote. It's not, it's not about whether they can win seats. Mm. It's that it threatens... It, it, there was something like a margin of 150 seats that the Tories could lose if they if they were to stand, just because the hardline Tory voters will go to them. Mm -hmm. It's know? absolutely crucial to understand the 2019 general election result in the context of the Brexit party mm. only standing in Labour seats. Mm -hmm. Really, really important. Because if reform, which is the successor, right, to the Brexit party, now stands across Tory and Labour seats, they will sap votes from the Conservatives. Right? In fact, actually probably more likely than they are from the Labour Party. But you can't understand the 2019 general election result without the Brexit dynamics in play, i.e. the Labour Party's adoption of a second, second referendum, um, not least because of some of uh, Keir Starmer's behaviour at the party conferences beforehand as the shadow Brexit secretary, but that's a story for another day. The Brexit dynamics in places like the Red Wall, Labour adopting that second referendum position, and then the Brexit Party also standing in those constituencies. So a lot of those, those um, pro-Brexit Labour voters leaving the Labour Party and uh, still, again, not necessarily voting for the Conservatives because there's a huge number of people in those places that will never, ever, ever vote for the Conservative Party. But they have a sort of Brexity protest vote, option alternative. And in a lot of these constituencies, the margins are so fine that the instance of, you know, let's say 100 votes going over to a party like Brexit swings the seat to the Tories. Mm -hmm. If the same thing now happens to the Tories in, let's say, I don't know, um, pick a constituency, it doesn't matter, over things like immigration, not only does it reverse the swing in, those, in the places where they were before, but actually it then puts a whole load of other Tory, what were maybe not necessarily safe seats, but pretty much strongholds with an occasional flip-flop, maybe for like a Blair 97 or something, that then become in play for the Labour Party again. But then you don't have any of the things that the Brexit Party had in 2019, as in you don't have Brexit, you don't have the name of the Brexit Party, you don't have Nigel Farage. Yep. Yes, you do. He, he's there. But as the leader. No, but he's there. 
but he's I, out campaigning with them, and he's he's chair. Is he, isn't he? is he like chief executive or yeah, something he's like, like that? Ch- I think he might be he's chair like non political role. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I just don't think you have the same assets as you do in 2019. No, I, like, I, 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 I could I could possibly buy that, but what I'm I also thought it's worth. Don't think they'll win a seat. Yeah. But what I mean to say is that they can have they have the potential to massively influence the election without winning a seat because of those sort of thin margins and the and the consequences for for swing between as you rightly flagged the first past the post system and who stands to benefit from that. And also, they're really furious at the Conservative Party, particularly Richard Tice and Nigel Farage and and the um, the the aides who work with Reform because they believe that the Conservatives won in 2019 because of the Brexit party. Mm. They believe that they, you know, probably influenced it. And that anger, I think, is enough for them to, now when they're strategizing, they are picking Tory marginal seats to contest in. Mm. They're angry about it. And there's all, you know, what? No, I'm, I'm laughing. I'm not at your point, but I'm thinking as in like, the Conservatives could be like, oh no, the Reform Party. You know, I, think, I think that's really naive though, because as Ollie said, if you're in a seat where it's 100 votes between Conservative and Labour, and Conservatives have just got 100, you know, marginal, then reform can come in and can take those away from them and Labour win by default. I don't know, I'm just, I'm just cynical of the, how well-known reformer, as in, I, I don't, it's, it's like, you know, the, the Mad Men meme, like, I feel sorry for you, I don't think about you at all. Mm. That's like, I think, and my, I think that's might be the opinion of the Conservative Party towards the Reform Party. I'm just, I'm just cynical of their potential for as a electoral force. Mm. Is my thoughts. Fair enough. Should we call it there? I think yeah. We've been going for long enough. Cool. Thanks very much for listening. We'll see you on the next one. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.